0: need to stay the sound like she's singing. Ooh, ooh, ooh.
1: everybody, and welcome back. It is Monday, November 28th, 2022, and you are listening to episode 152 of the Can I Say Something podcast. I'm your host and recluse with the juicy caboose, Damian. Joining me today is... Derek McDuff. On today's show, we'll be discussing what we've been watching, including the season finale of Andor. Park Chan-wook's new film, Decision to Leave, Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All, and much, much more. Right into the show, can I say something podcast at gmail.com, At bicycle on Twitter, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and Spotify, rate and review it on Apple Podcast. Tell a friend, family member, stranger. What's up, man? How you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Uh, had a good Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, you know, uh, That was fun. Got to see... Some family got to um, got to beat my brother at basketball. Uh, got <laughs> got the turkey and the stuffing and and the uh, the um, uh, scalloped potatoes and all that good stuff. And then uh, yes. uh, worked Black Friday. That was a little rough, but uh, but we're good. Oh no! <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, yes, I did as well. Yeah. Had some great food. Me, I should about like leftovers. Do you feel like leftovers are sometimes better. Then eating the leftovers hours later sometimes tastes better, feels better. Honestly, and yeah. It at the table itself.
0: Yeah, yeah I, right? I love leftovers. Like, and my family knows oh, I love yeah. leftovers, so they like loaded me up <laughs> when I was leaving my aunt's house. Like, yeah. here you go, here's a big bag for you, Derek. You got turkey. You got. They even had like bags with like gravy and stuff. In it. I was like, this is the fucking life. Like, I'm so happy right now.
1: <laughs> bags of gravy, nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I had, uh, had the same thing. A little, a little Tupperware container. Mm-hmm. Of leftovers had a little. uh, I always like to put a little dessert thing on top to smush it down. Pull it out of the fridge later and just munch on it. Oh yeah, good stuff. Very nice, very nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, amazing. So let's get into some of the stuff we've been watching. Not too much, not nearly as much stuff as we had last week, but still, still a assortment, a melange of stuff we've been watching. Uh, Andor just finished up. First season, there's already going to be obviously a second season. Um, I think Tony Gilroy talked about this on all the podcasts he was on this week. He talked about this on The Watch with Chris Ryan. CR over there was talking to him, asking him all about it. Gave a great interview. I love when directors are like, you know, super into the details about their show they're on, right? So right. Just getting involved to that. What are they doing? What are they thinking about? Especially with Star Wars, because it's very this is like the least Star Wars-like show that we've seen in a long time, right? Because it has, it's a show that they were talking about this on the Midnight Boys Pew Pew, where they were saying like, you know, this is a show that they recommended to people and people have turned around and said, well, okay, it's Star Wars. So what, what do I got to do? I got to watch all the Star Wars? I got to watch all six episodes or nine, whatever whatever mm. they're up to now. Do I got to watch, you know, Rogue One? Probably, probably Rogue One, but that's about it, Right there's no there's very little uh, connective tissue that sort of forces you to uh, you know do all that legwork, do all that homework before watching the show, right?
0: Yeah, it's it's very much like a really good spy thriller set in the Star Wars universe, which is something I love and it's something I'd wanted Star Wars to do for a long time was to branch out and do different Star Wars stuff. And that was one of the things I was going to touch on today. Is you know there is so much Star Wars out there, and some of it's Star Wars for You know, people who love the cartoons for kids that Dave Filoni is making, and now they're older, and so they're just like, well, how did Ahsoka block all of those bolts in the final episode of The Clone Wars? And (laughs) it's just like, "I, I don't care at all about that. Like, Ahsoka Tano is a character that means a lot to a lot of people, but I can give zero fucks about her. But, you know, that's right. fine for those people. Um, and this is the Star Wars that I'm really enjoying. This uh, this other corner of the universe that's all about bureaucracy and fucking silent fascism and just, you know, people trying to survive in this world. There's not, you don't have to worry about space wizards and all this stuff. And all that stuff is cool and I love it. But this is just such a grittier thing. And, you know, I'm a really big Bourne fan. So I'm really glad to see some, uh, you know, Tony Gilroy's. Uh, a take on this so I I really really enjoyed it and I thought the finale was great
1: yeah the finale was incredible uh, I think two episodes have aired so let's talk about a couple of them Dutter Ferrix, you have you know that incredible moment of Luthen um you know, trying to escape the clutches of the star destroyer. <laughs> they're talking to him and they're like, "Hey, uh, some nefarious activities, some some pirate activities going on around here. So, let you just chill right there, and we're gonna check your check your credentials and see what's going on, see if you're on, on the up and up." And he's like, "Okay, fine." And he's just sitting there and he's messing around with this. He's got he got this uh, fake. Um, what, what was the planet that he faked his his track his. Uh, did he his say Alderon? I can't remember. Alderon, yes, thank you. Yeah, it was Alderon. Yep, exactly. So he's faking his um, his beacon or whatever, and they're like, Okay, you're you're from Alderon, but uh, we're still gonna bring you in, still gonna tractor beam you in. So the tractor beam's going and his AI on his ship is like, All right, tractor beam, reversal thingy going, we got that going. Okay, we're out of the tractor beam and he's like, Fuck, he's leaving. Send yeah. some send some TIE fighters after him and he just takes him out with all his fucking gear yeah. and shit. And people were like, is this guy fucking See a jedi he's got to be a jedi right with that that walking stick that looks like you know it could, it could expand out to be a uh a lightsaber or something what is your take on this do you think luthan's a, a jedi no
0: i i would be surprised i don't i i don't think you know that's that's some like i said that's some dave filoni shit where it's just like the jedi yeah. everyone's a jedi and it's all about how much the jedi worth. <laughs> and like this is just like this is a very different side of star wars and i've I love seeing the Jedi pop up and stuff like that, but for this, I am loving to see just the more nitty-gritty, down-to-earth, everyday people kind of Star Wars and that this revolution is just started by some everyday people. This guy, uh, Luthan, and then, you know, Mon Mothma and and all of these other just kind of like rebel cells that are all kind of coming together to make the rebellion.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, And you have, you know... You have that discussion right before he left that planet, um, talking to um, Saw guerrera and says, "You know, is there somebody in there?" Saw is talking to him. Saw is talking to Luthen. They have a discussion where Saw wants to go and you know save. Um, I forget who they're talking about, that the person that was going to die, but if he, but if they save him and tell him. That the ISB is coming for him, that all of their work, sort of like in, um, in, uh, what's that movie with, um, oh damn, what is that movie where, uh, the the imitation game where it's about the, uh, damn, I should have the, all the names pulled up. <laughs> what was the guy during World War II that they that invented the, um, Enigma? He broke the Enigma code?
0: Benedict Cumberbatch.
1: Yes, him. (laughs) (laughs) He broke the Enigma code. Um, But yeah, that character that he plays in there, they break the code, but then they have the sort of moral and ethical quandary of... They know where their ships are, are going to be targeted. They know what ships are going, to be, are going to be targeted. and But they can't tell those ships that they know they're going to be targeted. Or the other side, the the Axis powers, the Germany and Japan, are going to know that they know. Mm-hmm. right? So they have to make these these really tough decisions about who to, who to let live and who to let die. And it's very much this sort of conversation they're having here where Shaw Guerrero wants to save him, save this guy that's going to die. And listen saying, no, we can't do that, or what the ISB know that, that we're on to them. Very, very cool scene yeah
0: no that was great and it just reminded me a lot of like you can see where andor's character progression is gonna go because at the beginning of rogue one he he's got that informant and then he just shoots him in the back because he's like yeah these guys are gonna there's no way for him to get out of this these guys are gonna catch him they're gonna question him so just takes him out you know so it's it's that i really love all that like kind of hard decision making and you have to be just almost as evil as as the people you're fighting and does that draw the line and he gives it's just totally in line with that speech he gives about him having to sacrifice his soul. And it's a lot of the same th- uh, themes that are present in uh, something like the Hunger Games, which I think is another really good z- example of just a rebellion happening against this totalitarian government. Um, so, yeah, I, I've, I've been a really big fan of that.
1: Yep, and then we also have uh, B2Emo, uh, you have some of the most emotional emoting from a, from a Star Wars robot in the history of Star Wars in this episode because, uh, you know, spoilers for all the stuff going forward, but you have Marva passing away off screen between the episodes, and you have B2Emo obviously grieving her, and you have all this, you know, uh, emotion coming from a robot, which is kind of incredible, mm-hmm. Um then I I love that, that fucking robot, that by the way. Yeah.
0: Like when they push him over, yes, I was like, right? "Kill these fucking Nazis right <laughs> now!" I was like, "How yep. dare they?" My sweet boy.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's all part of that world building of like you know. <laughs> he's, so <laughs> he's so great. He's such he's he's a great fucking shit. droid. Oh yeah. my god. He is, and just making you. The, the show does such a good job of humanizing all of these people, but also like making you you. Hate, Uh, you know hate the hate the empire Mm -hmm. because of all of the stuff that they're taking away from these people and what they don't they don't give a shit about any of this they don't give a shit about their sort of funeral procession and you saw that even this little the little moment where you have one of them uh, from Farrick's walking in to the bar and some guy with the Nazi hat is just drinking there he's like what's going on a fucking <laughs> funeral It's like yeah funeral man <laughs> he's like ah stupid <laughs> I do love and I want to bring this up because it was something they touched on on the um, uh, a better a more civilized age one of the best uh, podcasts about this about Star Wars in general but specifically about Andor they shouted them out on the ringer and more civilized age shut out of the ringer so they've got definitely got more, I think they'll get much more listeners to that show now, which is a great thing. They were talking about how the, the process that they go through of burying people in on Ferrix has so much to do with how they perceive themselves as people and as workers and laborers and how they are putting themselves into the wall and they're seeing themselves as part of this town. Like, literally, they're going to be forever entombed in this town. They're forever going to be um, enmeshed with this town. And I thought that was a really great sort of allegory and sort of great metaphor about how this town sort of perceives itself, right?
0: Yeah, and I loved, you know, yeah, her, her whole speech of like just kind of Ignored them and they showed up and they left and now they're back and we've just kind of accepted it and then she just you know from the grave kind of spurns on this this rebellion and this these people to act and I I thought that was a really cool moment
1: yes yeah very very cool yeah um so and another very uh you know emotional moment when um they're talking in the last episode uh Cassian's talking to um talking to Brasso, right, in the tunnel, underneath the tunnel, the tunnel that Marv was talking about, about reopening up so they could sort of use that as an access point. Um, Brasso says to Luthen, or says to Cassian, you know, the last thing your mother said to me and she wanted to pass this on to you. Tell him none of this is his fault. It was already burning. He's just the first spark of the fire. Tell him he knows everything he needs to know and feels everything he needs to feel. When the day comes that those two pull together, he will be an unstoppable force for good. Tell him I love him more than anything he could ever do wrong. And that's just, oof, that just <laughs> yeah. fucking breaks you because it has, it, I was thinking about this because it draws back to a lot of the stuff they sort of getting into the ideas and the themes of everything everywhere at once, which I'll talk about, you know, coming up pretty soon for the Best of the Year show, where that that movie is very much about, like, accepting yourself and parents accepting their kids as being who they are. Like, not just gay or lesbian or, like, you know, whatever, uh, being the person that they are, but also accepting their limitation and accepting their, um, you know, the the bad things that they do because she is... um, Joy sort of sees herself as the worst version of herself. Her and her mother are going through all of these different parallel universes and she sees different versions of her mother and she knows that she sees all these different versions of herself and she kind of surmises that sh- this reality that they started in, she is like one of the worst versions of herself, if not the worst version of herself. And so she's asking her mother at the end, why do you want to be with the worst version that I could possibly be? And she's like, well, I want to, that's, that's what I want to be with because I, because I just want to be here with you. It doesn't matter if you are, you might be the worst version <laughs> of yourself, right? You might think of that as yourself, but I still love you. The, even though you are, you might be not the, the not the best version of yourself and this very much touches on those same so those same themes of like, you know, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to be your mother. I'm still going to be there for you, even at your worst time, even if, even at your worst moments, right?
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. You know, it's it's really like, you know, he he's lost his family and or did, and you know, there is obviously some seeds about him trying to find his sister. But yeah, for so long, his his only family has been. Um, his mother Harry Potter's aunt and then this robot yeah. <laughs> um, and so that yeah it's a really you know special bond in the way she spurns everyone on and, and kind of spur- and spurns him on, on that moment when he talks to her for the last time and he doesn't know it's going to be the last time when he's like I've got to I've got to go um, and she's like she's like you have to go and I have to stay and then he yeah. you know gets imprisoned with fucking Gollum for months and never sees her again and then next time <laughs> like as soon as he gets out he hears that she's dead uh, uh, so yeah, that, that that really it hits, you know?
1: Really does. Um, and then let's touch on Cyril. Cyril, the fucking weird incel guy, weird fascist incel yes. guy. <laughs> yeah. He sees he sees Deirdre and she's like, She's here. She's actually <laughs> here. Wow. Look at her. Like a fucking <laughs> like Jordan Jor- yeah. Joseph Gordon in five hundred days of summer, just like, ooh, <laughs> my lady, my lady friend, ooh, yeah. ma'am. <laughs> I I, I
0: I saw this fucking like a tweet and it was just like I think Dua Lip Lipa should marry my friend Mike. He likes all of her Instagram pictures.
1: <laughs> Jesus. So then he like grabs her from the grabs her from the street, pulls her in, into the side alley or whatever, and puts a gun mm-hmm. to the back of her and and they just have this weird, weird, creepy moment of him looking that at her like Milady I, I was you. like
0: don't fucking kiss right now. I do not no. need a fascist love story. And like I was no. there was a moment I really thought it was going to happen. I was like, I'm so into this. Please don't do it And then they just they just cut away from it. I was like, thank God. Like, I did not need yeah. that in my fucking and or do not need this fucking Nazi love story happening right now.
1: I really don't. What do you think that look of her on her face was? Because she was like, I should thank you. Was she just like in preservation mode? Was she in survival
0: mode right there? I don't know. That's really... Because he just is like, you would ne- you never have to. And I just expect him to like tip his hat and be like, Mlady, yeah. like,
1: Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, man. And then another toxic relationship in the show is obviously my uh, mathma and her husband, uh, F- uh, Perrin, right? Mm-hmm. They're over the there fucking doing sucks. That Perrin, Perrin fucking sucks, right? But he gets his comeuppance yeah. because she knows, like she says to her driver, like, hey have a private conversation, shut the door, shut the audio whatever. She but but she's smart enough to know that that doesn't mean that he's going to turn it back on, right? And so she starts talking to him about like uh you got these, you know, you got these uh, uh gambling debts that are, you know, really fucking us over here, man. You're taking all this money from our account. To, to pay for your gambling debts. And that's where that money is going, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But he's not seeing that wink, wink, nudge, nudge, because he's such a fucking idiot. Right? Yeah, she's so playing seeing, him. Yeah. She's
0: playing him as much as he's playing the driver. He's like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. You know, she, so she's just putting the blame on him. That's <laughs> pretty great.
1: Exactly. Then we cut to a scene, you know, later on with the ISB talking about their conversation that they obviously bugged and was listening to, so... She threw him under the bus, which was great to see. Finally, fucking dickhead, get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> probably his daughter is going to take up the man, his mantle, right, of being the fucking dickhead, dickhead daughter. Yeah, because
0: now she and then she had to do the arranged marriage with a fucking one yeah. guy, and that's where she she's kind of like you know that's that's her version of like oh sacrificing a bunch of people is is yeah. selling her daughter off to this arranged marriage which she's been trapped in that she hated so much she never wanted that for her daughter and now she's doing the same exact thing and she she's compromised her morals just as much as as um Stellan Skarsgård has so that that was so interesting cuz you know in their worlds that's pretty much equal yeah exactly
1: exactly just yeah incredible show one one of the best shows of the year i'd say top one of one of the top shows of the year if you're going to rank these where would you put andor in terms of best uh, shows of 2022
0: i mean it's 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 definitely up there there's been a lot of really good shows in 2022 like um i mean better call saul is season 6 is one of the all-time great seasons of tv ever made um yeah there's been, uh, there's been some so really solid Marvel shows. Um, I know a lot of people have been hard on it, but I fucking love She Hulk. Um, but Andor, yep. Andor was up there for sure. Um, then there's, you know, there's been some more serious stuff like Kevin can fuck himself that I I really dug a lot. Um, so I mean, it's it's probably in my top five shows of the year, uh, in a really solid year of t- uh, good TV.
1: Yeah. Um. I don't know if you've seen the Bear yet, but I I recommended. Uh, pretty much just the bear. I was talking to Andy about to that, you know yeah. what, yeah, what to watch before the end of the year before we get to the best of show, best of podcast mm-hmm. uh, later in in January. But I said you know, I know you don't have time to watch a lot of stuff, so I definitely recommend uh, Andor and the Bear in terms of like it's probably the best stuff. This year, um, yeah. Severance was also incredible. Um, so yeah, yeah, just a lot yeah. of TV. Severance, Severance is one of those. So I was like, was that really this year? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Like no, April. exactly. Yeah,
0: and then yeah, the rehearsal was also this year. Yeah, I think about it. And then How yeah. to, I was just we're gonna talk about it later, but I just watched all of How to with John Wilson. That was really good. Nice. Yeah.
1: And, and then uh, one uh, other thing on yeah. on
0: Andor, I just wanted to touch on real fast yeah. is, I do uh, you watch the post credit scene right? Oh yeah. Yeah, which I think is the first Star Wars post credit scene. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, um, well and, could be, yep. you know, I, I love that because I was like, I was waiting for that to reveal to be like, what are they building? Like, they're obviously building a Death Star. Like, what are they building? A yeah. big fucking, What is the Empire building right now at this time? Yep. And that also yep. works so well thematically because, you know, Andor is the one who largely was able to get the plans to help destroy the Death Star. And he is... You know, probably feels responsible for the construction of it because he literally helped construct. It. I mean, he didn't have much of a choice, but still. Yeah. Um, so I think that that was that's another interesting thematic thing to maybe to give him a little bit of guilt and motivation to um, in Rogue One.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because they were talking about this. They made a really good point on uh, Midnight Boys just now. I was listening to their wrap up of the show and of uh, the season, and they were talking about what you just said of like. The motivations for many of our great, you know, heroes journeys, heroes, even especially Luke Skywalker, is Luke's Luke's like motivation for doing what he did was like he's got midichlorians in him. <laughs> he's got the force yeah, in yeah. him, his father is his father. So that's really his driving motivation, which is not too complicated, it's not too complex, it's not too dense to really dig into but then you have this show come along and Andor or come along and this incredibly complex and uh interesting and um what do you call that like uh, it was wrestling with these internal motivations and morals and ethics of this guy doing what he's doing and where he started out as a person and where he started out at the beginning of this season and where he's ending up, at not just at the end of this season, but where is he going to start next season? How is that going to transform him into the person that we know from Rogue One? So I think in terms of the sort of um, character arcs of all time, all time great you know, character arcs starting from where he started and... You know, just comparing it to stuff like, like I said, the the great, um, the biggest um, heroes' journeys that we've seen over time in, in some of the biggest IPs. This has got to be ranked up there with some of the best, you know, character development we've seen in a very long time, right?
0: Yeah, no, and I, I think it, you know, intentionally kind of, it, it does still do like the recall and refusal of the call, like the kind of Joseph Campbell thing. But it does sure. kind of shy away from a lot of the, that Joseph Campbell mythos that lucas and a lot of the original creators of star wars especially in the prequels lean so hard into and it's just kind of yeah it gives him much more human motivations than just being like ah he was plucked up you know by the jedi (laughs) to to be a hero and he's the chosen one and it's like no no this he's he's like got all of these you know human motivations you see and he 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 does a thing, and at first it's just for money, but he has some personal motivations. Then he tries to get out, and then he gets imprisoned and sees just firsthand, just like the he's seen the tyranny of the empire, but he hasn't he experienced it to the extent that he has, where he becomes slave labor and just then he leads that revolution, just that you know on a, a microcosm in the or he helps to lead the revolution and kind of sparks it as in the microcosm in the prison escape and it's so cool to just see his character be set up in a really natural way like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you have, you know, that um character motivation from, you know, him listening to the um the tape that I'm looking for the guy's name. Do you remember the guy's name that made the manifesto that was writing the manifesto and recorded Parts oh, of it for him.
0: fucking mouse from the Matrix! That's yeah, mouse is. from the Matrix. <laughs> it sort of looks like him.
1: He's the guy, <laughs> right. the actor. Uh, I forget his name, but uh, he was in the most despicable. Uh, Karis was his name. No, the guy, uh, the actor was in that uh, Black Mirror episode. Uh, Shut up and dance. You ever seen that one?
0: Ah, uh, no, I
1: didn't. <laughs> if you ever, yeah, if you got to see one Black Mirror, it's, it's definitely that one. He was in that. He was in a Netflix movie or a Netflix show called uh, and. Uh, what was it called The End of the Fucking World or something like that he was in that he oh. like ran for two seasons I know
0: what you're talking yeah, about but I never a, saw it yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah. damn it I'm trying to find the kid's hmm. name he was a major part of it was he in two episodes or three episodes I'm trying to find his name here I gotta find it um remember it was Arvill Skeen was the guy remember uh, when they were you know preparing to do the heist they were all getting together and all those people were, were working together right no, oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I know exactly... I would not be able to tell you the name of the character or the actor Like in, if you gave me 50 years.
1: <laughs> Let me see, because I'm looking on IMDb, and it's got all the tiny faces, and I can't tell based on the face. Oh, I really got to find this guy. He was so good, right? But the whole speech was really good, right? Just talking about what is totalitarianism, what is authoritarianism, what is fascism, What does it look like, what does it do, how does it operate... Alex...
0: Lothar plays Karis.
1: Okay. Thank you, thank you, yes.
0: Karis <laughs>
1: made the manifesto that he's listening to, that that Aunt Cassie Nandor and is listening to, and that very much, you know, brings him around. You know, it's that I watched Malcolm X this year and it's a very similar um, moment in Malcolm X where Malcolm goes to jail for something mm-hmm. and then in jail he's radicalized in there by a very similar sort of clash conscience clash conscious uh, inmate that, that says to him, you know, you think it's black versus white, you think it's Muslim versus Christian. You think it's these things that you've been told your whole life about who our, who our enemy is when it's actually, you know, the rich and the wealthy versus the working class. Mm-hmm. So it's very much the same sort of thing that they're working through here, which is very interesting. Yeah. yeah no, definitely. That guy. Thank you. <laughs> <Could not find laughs> um, so yeah. Any, any other closing thoughts on Andor as a season?
0: Yeah, I think it does – It doesn't like I was surprised at how long it was, um, but I think yeah. it does a really good job of like, – it doesn't feel like it overstays its welcome. It doesn't feel like like how Obi-Wan, even though it was like six episodes, felt way too long. Um, this right. feels like – because it does have these distinct arcs that would run in like three episodes where it's like, okay, now he's in prison and all this stuff is happening. and And I do think that one thing I really like about it is – that it is a true ensemble show. Even though it is called Andor and he is unquestionably the main character. There are so many plot lines that you can cut away to. And what is going on with this character? What is going on with this character? And they are all kind of very tangentially related. And you're spending a lot of time being with the Empire and with the incel guy. And all of these people and seeing this world. And how this the smallest ripple in one person's life will completely change all these other people's lives. That maybe they didn't even met. That they only know because of someone else that they know. So it's a like all these desperate, con- disparate connections, and, yeah, I, I, I really like a good ensemble show, and, uh, you know, so if he's, and in prison for the really episodes, you can have some rising action going on in other places, so you're not just like, oh my god, is he out, no, you can, you are really with him, so that story manages to build at a, a really good progression, while Mon Mothma is looking for him, and while Stellan Skarsgår or Mon Mothma's doing her thing, and Stellan is looking for him, and, uh the empires looking for him and all these different things are happening all kind of uh, and and once and are all related but are all separate and i'm really curious to see now what they do next
1: Yes, 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 exactly. Uh, I do want to move on, but you keep making good points, so I got to chump on them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned like it felt it felt long, but I feel like I loved, loved, loved that it was it doled out as it was. You know, one one episode per week. I think that very much uh, impacted my enjoyment of the show. It very much let me savor each episode. It allowed me to allowed myself and other you know podcasters like we keep saying the ring reverse people um, more civilized aged those people to dig into it and allowed me to dig into it as well each episode let, let me savor each each episode and what it meant and what was it building to i think uh it had very very good uh three episode arcs per per uh every, every three episodes had an arc right the first one yeah. was yeah. the, the ferrex episodes and then you had the um the prison the uh not the prison the um the heist episodes were in the next three. Mm-hmm. And then you had the prison episodes being the next three or two or three. I figure out how many they did there. Um, and then the last two were the return to Farrick's, which I think, you know, I, I think um, Tony Gowry talked about this, where he said that they had planned out the entire framework, the outline of the show in about a week which, you know, they didn't write the show. They didn't write every line dialogue. They didn't write every action set piece in a week, but they outlined the show. And I think that was probably part of what they talked about was, you know, let's do 12 episodes. You know, Disney might might have asked for 12 episodes. They're like, okay, we got 12. That's a lot for Prestige TV this, now. So let's think about this. You know, they probably planned out those those uh, three episodes per you know, right right there and then, which was a really good idea. So, yeah, like like you said, it was it felt long. It was a little long. It was 12, 12 episodes when I normally things like this are 9 or 10. Um, but it definitely led to a really great uh three months of really great discussions. I'm really glad to uh, have the show and have these discussions with you. So it's great. Yeah. Great, great yeah, show. Absolutely. Great discussions. I- Yeah, Yeah, I
0: love coming on here afterwards and and talking about, like, oh, my God, the episode with the eye, and I was behind (laughs) a little bit, so I did binge a lot of it, and then I got even more into it, I was like, oh, man, like, I think I binged up to right where, like, like they kind of got to that first, like, mid-season finale, and then I was like, all right, what's going to happen next, And and then I watched it week to week, and, yeah, I got more and more hyped as it went on.
1: Yeah, I'd love to know, uh, Andy and Dan have to watch this, so I'd love to know uh, when they come on, when they do finally binge this, uh, I would love to know how they feel about binging it versus watching it week-to-week. That'd be an interesting uh, conversation to have about the contrast between uh, watching it week-to-week versus binging it. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. definitely.
1: Great show, great show. So let's get to some movie stuff we've been watching. A lot of, a lot of still, they're still doling out the Oscar stuff. Um, I watched Decision to Leave. This is Park Chan Wook's new film. Park Chan Wook, if you don't know, if people aren't aware, uh, was the director of Old Boy. He directed things like Thirst. Um, he directed The Handmaiden in 2016, which I believe a lot of people still hold up as his uh, masterpiece so far. Uh, but this is his new one Decision to Leave. Um, stars Park High Ill and Tang Wei. Um, this is a police, pres- not procedural, but a police sort of investigation into a possible murder slash suicide. Um, they paired this on the Next Picture Show podcast. They paired this with one of your favorite movies, um, uh, Brief, Brief Encounter. Ooh. And they paired this with that movie. Yeah, they paired this with that movie because they have a very similar sort of, um, Interpersonal relationship. the The inspector does. The police inspector has a has a very similar relationship with the main suspect, where they have this very complex, very interesting. Well, they won't. They they have a very interesting um, back and forth and sort of flirtation. Flirtation um, relationship throughout the movie. So I thought that was an, that was an interesting pairing. I think um, I personally would have gone with a Hitchcock movie because <clears throat> I think a lot of the story and the set pieces and the camera movements and sort of the overall script has a lot to uh, uh, owe to a lot of Hitchcock movies, especially things like North by Northwest um, and other sort of big budget movies. Um, to Catch a Thief, I think, uh, uh, was a big influence on this movie in terms of how it looks, its camera movements, it's a uh, lot of rooftop shots. Uh, very, very good movie. I would highly recommend checking out. Okay, this yeah, I, I need, to leave. Yeah, yeah, I
0: need to check it out. I, I remember seeing the trailer and I was like, I have no idea what the tone of this is, but it looks interesting. <laughs> yeah. I was like, is this a comedy? Is this a drama? Is this like a tragedy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's very much, very much a Hitchcock. If you if you liked Hitchcock, if you like those movies I mentioned, I highly recommend checking this one out. And then another one I went to the theater for was Bones and All, the new Luca Guadagnino film uh, with a reteaming with his Call Me By Name star Timothy Chalamet. This also stars Taylor Russell and Mark Rylance. This is a very strange little movie. I saw this after, uh, I saw this on Thanksgiving Day after I had my little Thanksgiving nap. <laughs> <laughs> and I was very, very sleepy going into this. So I, I sort of was drifting in and out of this movie. But it sort of does uh, lend itself to that sort of. Um, that sort of a way of watching a movie because it's very dreamlike. It's very soft and slow and, and dreamy and sort of on that wavelength. So I think I really went into this with that sort of same tone and uh, rhythm that the movie was working on so it was very good it has a very interesting marks uh, Michael Stubarg, which was also from Call the by your name very very interesting character very different character than he usually plays in a lot of his movies um, very different uh, mark Rylance in this movie as well I think uh, will I will never see him the same again after watching this movie he plays a very interesting character names named Sully uh, I think this is a very very good movie not great um, not something I don't think we'll see on many lists in terms of uh, nominations for best actor best director best screen play or anything like that but a uh, very solid very solid seven uh, seven out of ten so would recommend watching that if you want to see more Timmy C in your life
0: so that's interesting because yeah call me by and your name comes out and then everyone yes. involved in it except for one person uh, makes a cannibalism <laughs> movie the one person yeah. from that movie who does not be in the cannibalism movie is the guy who is an actual cannibal in real life.
1: <laughs> right that is that's crazy it's very very strange um, I listen yeah, it's. I wonder. I wonder what he was thinking. Army Hammer like was looking through the papers, looking through the trades, and he's like, "Wait, Luca made a movie about cannibalism? What? I, I'm suing, <laughs> yeah. suing, suing for copyright infringement or whatever." Yeah, <laughs> it's so strange. Apparently, this was based on a book, and they were talking to I forget which podcast it was. They were. Oh, I think it was a script apart. Very good podcast about script writing. Um, and the host was talking to the screenwriter for this movie, and he was saying how the. The author of the book wanted him to think about the movie as a vegetarian movie, which sounds very, it sounds insane, right? To think yeah. about a cannibalist movie from a, it has the themes, the themes of the movie, themes of a cannibalism movie being about veganism, what? And so huh. she so was basically saying how our need to eat, you know, animal meat about cow meat, pig meat, all that stuff has been, is like a, it's like it's like cannibalism in the in the fact that we sort of have the need to eat it. We can't not eat it, right? We have this sort of innate need and desire and sort of unending. Uh, uh, humans as a species have a sort of unquenchable thirst or taste. For meat, And it's probably going to be the end of us in terms of the mass agricultural sense of how we grow things, how we, you know, have to have this entire ecosystem that is based around raising and maintaining livestock that is incredibly expensive, not just monetarily, but also for the environment. So I think that was that was what she was going for there. But I don't think it came across. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of dig into the text there to find that theme. But Mm -hmm. you know, once you hear, once you hear it, and then think back on it, it does sort of make sense a little bit. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. I mean, I get that. You know, just uh, I mean, steak is delicious, and I'm still going to eat it, though. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, people. I know it's It's not great, but it's it's true. Yeah. It's very good. I've dated a lot of vegetarians, and uh, they always make me feel bad.
1: Yeah, right <laughs> So let's get to some stuff you've been watching You checked out Glass Onion, which I believe Only has like a week or two uh, Theatrical run Before it hits Netflix on December 23rd Or 24th, around then uh, Tell me what you thought of Glass Onion
0: I, I really, really enjoyed it uh, I got a chance to go see it last night um, I I was a really big fan Of Knives Out, and this is Very much the same vibes, you know It's a entirely new um, Ensemble cast, except for benoit blanc of just kind of ridiculous horrible people just like in the first one uh with maybe one exception just like in the first one uh i really loved it all these great character actors kind of coming together it's another really just interesting whodunit twisty type story with um a kind of just you know you're you're trying to piece together as it's going along as the characters are trying to piece it together um it it is you know i've seen a lot of Uh, murder mysteries, especially this last year, there have been a few of them um, which I have not really enjoyed like, see how they run was fine Um, uh, the murder on the, well, Death on the Nile it was pretty bad Um, this feels like, you know just a really good example of just this kind of Agatha Christie style murder with a lot of fun characters and a lot of just weirdness and jokes and, and just I I really dug it. This the these movies are probably my favorite thing that Ryan Johnson has done. I I really, really enjoy have enjoyed both of them in Glass Onion. It's just you know this is this is like the kind of franchise that I really enjoy. It's like all right, well you you don't need to bring everyone back. Doesn't need to like find all these convoluted reasons for ransom to show up or whatever to give him a cameo. No, we're just gonna have another murder mystery. It's just like the old. The old Sherlock Holmes and Poirot mysteries, you just get this really great detective and you give him another really cool case that's got these bizarre happenings and interesting characters and clues and red herrings and stuff. And, you know, it it was a lot of fun.
1: Nice. Very cool. Um, does this feel like we have a couple of movies or a few movies come out this year that are sort of uh, have a eat the rich um tone to them theme to them the menu triangle sadness does this have like an overall like uh, sense of eat the rich sort of theme to theme running through it
0: it's I would say it's not necessarily eat the rich as much as it's just like um these tech giant we've talked a lot about the tech you know these tech bros and how they're and basically the theme is like yeah they seem untouchable and brilliant but they're actually just you know they're just dumb people and like all these people that surround themselves are all just fake whether they be you know politicians on the left or shitty uh men's rights youtubers or whatever it might be they're all they're all pieces of shit um so yeah i guess kind of eat the rich in that sense um it, it almost feels like i was like did Ryan Johnson have a time machine and did he know like what everything was going to happen on Twitter? Did he like, did he know somehow? Because it feels like, like if this movie had come out like a year later and like, wow, they, this movie is just, I can't believe you would say all this stuff about Elon, but it's just like, yeah, this stuff is happening now. And the movie just came out. Like it's wild.
1: Nice. Very interesting. Um, yeah. So definitely want to check that out when it comes, probably when it comes to Netflix, uh, later in, in, uh, December. Uh, And you also checked out something called Blue's Big City Adventure. What is this?
0: So uh, I uh, am of the age where I was just the right age where I watched Blue's Clues as a kid. I was a very big fan of Blue's Clues. Um, It was very much comfort entertainment for me. And it's just the whole concept behind that was just like, what if we made a kids show where we talked to the kids and we treated them intelligently? And like equals, and we just kind of talked to them, and then you know it's continued over the years. It ended its run, came back with. There's been all these different hosts of the years, and this is basically Spider-Man No Way Home, but for Blue's Clues, and it's so fucking great because it's it's the you know they they go to New York City as the title would imply. The current host of Blue's Clues in Blue, um, and they and then you have the old old host come back, and there was moments. Where you know Steve, the original host, who's now dressed as a, like an old school detective with the hat and spyglass and everything, like looks in the camera and's like, "You've gone so big." And I was like, "Thank you, Steve." Like it just, like, I got almost cried like five times in this fucking kids movie. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just so, <laughs> it was so cool and so just, it was. It, you, you ever watch a movie and it's just like, wow, this movie, it's not like a masterpiece, it's not The Godfather, but this was exactly perfect for what it needed to be. This is a hundred percent what i would want to see from a blues clues movie it was really fun it had a lot of like cool cameos in it just like people like i'm like is that alex fucking winter you know like stuff like that it's just it's it's really (laughs) great if anybody out there has watched blues clues whether you're a millennial or a gen z or something like that and you whichever one of these blues clues hosts you grew up with it in the same way that they brought back all of the three Man, they bring back all the three Blue's Clues hosts, and it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of really cool call-outs and references to the show that I'm sure only got a fraction of, but um, it was it was really just cool and nostalgic, but not in a way that felt manipulative at all. It felt like a real love letter to the people who have grown up with this, and, and if, you know, I had kids who watch Blue's Clues, like, I'm sure there's a lot of people my age who now have their own kids who are watching Blue's Clues. That had to be such a Cool moment to bridge that generational divide. Um, so, yeah, uh, if, if you got kids or if you grew up on Blues Clues, I highly recommend this.
1: Nice, very cool. Uh, and that's streaming on Paramount Plus.
0: Yep, yep, yep.
1: Nice, very cool. And also checked out the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. I haven't watched this yet. Uh, does this have anything, <laughs> anything to do with MCU stuff? It's got a little stinger in there, got something for me. Got some, got some MCU building in there, or not really?
0: There is a little. There's like, there's like, there's like one thing that you're like, okay, this, this is gonna be a thing you might have to know, you know, going into the next Guardians movie. But it's, it's not like, oh, if you miss it, you're gonna miss out on a whole lot. It's kind of like a fun, mostly just kind of self-contained story with these characters and just, you know, the relationship are is really cool. It, it does feel very reminiscent of, and intentionally so, obviously, of those old, you know, when they would do a Christmas episode of a comedy TV show back in the day. Like you'd watch boy meets world and like, here's the Christmas episode and you settle in and get cozy. Um, and just kind of like watch these characters learn the meaning of Christmas, you know, and, and it's, it was really cool. Um, there's, it's some really funny jokes in it. It's really cool. It's good to, you know, it's kind of mostly a, uh, Drax and, um, Mantis kind of adventure. And it's cool to see that dynamic play out a little bit more that we got hinted on a little bit. In Guardians Two, and definitely expanded here, and they do some cool, interesting things with the the Christmas concept, and uh, so yeah, I, I I really liked it. It's only forty five minutes long, so you can just just you know throw it on, watch it with your family or whatever at Christmas, or just kind of watch it if you you need to get into the Christmas spirit. I think it's a it's a good one, and also a lot of my favorite thing That's ever, really which cool. is early yes. 2000s alt christmas rock yeah like that is my favorite shit in the world and this is like the soundtrack completely full <laughs> of it and there's a couple original songs that are very much in that tone uh so yeah really awesome yeah
1: nice very cool definitely gonna check this out probably after we hang out here um nice. let's see star wars stuff we're talking about andor and we got something called zen gro grogu grogu and dust bunnies what's that yeah so um
0: this is uh you know I, i did i was saying yeah i've watched a lot of star wars stuff and there is so much star wars stuff now um a lot of people were excited about this because it's uh the first collaboration of lucasfilm and studio ghibli and it kind of combines two of the more cute little mascots of both of them it's got obviously grogu maybe yoda as i like to call him still and then the little dust bunnies that you see pop up in a lot of the Studio Ghibli movies there. You see them in, like, um, the, the little dust soots that show up in Spirited Away. Uh, those kind of little guys. And it's just... Uh, it's basically nothing. It's it's honestly nothing. Like, it is it's... it's <laughs> yeah, if you look at it from the most cynical point of view, it's just these two big IPs putting two of their cutest mascots on there. And if you look at it from the most kind of a uh, lenient point of view. It's like, that was an interesting way to spend three minutes and to see some cool images. And now it's done and I'll never think about it again.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs>
0: um, so they're, yeah,
1: <laughs> they're doing, um, what is it? They're doing, uh, which uh, Ghibli stuff. They're putting Ghibli uh, movies on Disney plus, right? Is that, is that why they're doing this? I,
0: I don't know. I know it's a collaboration. Um, I don't know. Cause I know Disney has, done dubs and distributed ghibli films in the past i know that they were on hbo max i know the international rights for that stuff is is really weird so i'm not really sure
1: um let me see uh, i think it's just a little bit of an article here um studio ghibli's will not be coming Dis- disney plus is This is from what is this from not sure it said november um yeah, it's very weird. I thought they had like a crossover event. Did they have like some some weird event where, um, what's his name, uh, Miyazaki was with like uh, Mickey Mouse or something, right? I
0: don't. I know I thought that I, like I thought I heard
1: something like that on the watch.
0: They like I know that they like I said they do. Disney do, did distri- does distribute them in the U.S. Um, yeah, theatrically. Right. Um, so that's probably what that was. Like I know, like if you like watch like the old intros, you have. Um, notable creep, uh, John Lasseter, just be like, ah, Miyazaki son, and I'm like, shut up, you fucking weeb. Um, so there's <laughs> a lot of that stuff going on. Um.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, then we also tricked out something. We caught. We watched uh, Devotion, the new, uh, the new movie with Jonathan Majors and, let me see, Jonathan Majors and uh, Glenn Powell. The second Glenn Powell movie (laughs) this year. Second Glenn uh, Powell uh, naval aviation film. (laughs) Yes, indeed, indeed. (laughs) Uh, What did you think of this?
0: I thought it was pretty good. Um, You know, it wasn't like incredible, uh, but I I did enjoy it. I did like some of the theme. I do. I always love a like a a movie that's just about just a a good bromance. You know, Uh, especially when it's an interracial bromance. That's always really cool to see. But I like how this one is just like, yeah, like, you know, maybe, you know, you don't have to be the white savior. Like, because it's I was, at the beginning, I was like, OK, it's kind of setting this up. This feels right. like glory or something where it's like, yeah, this is a story about the first black person to be in the armed forces in this this kind of way. And but here's this white guy that we got to make the main character. But it felt like it's like, oh, no, this is kind of a, uh, like he, he doesn't have to be the white savior. He's got to kind of maybe learn that lesson and just kind of be his friend you know i I thought that was interesting uh so i really like the relationship between the two of them um jonathan majors is an actor that i'm liking more and more and more as time goes on just he's super interesting i think he's he's really good in this and also it was nice it was or not nice but it was interesting to see a korean war film because other than mash i can't think of any there's so many like they even like kind of you know hang a lampshade on it in this movie where there's so many films about the wars both preceding it and the one that directly followed it, the Vietnam war and world war two. And just, just, and this is like the quote unquote America's forgotten war. And I think that, you know, when you see, you need to tell a story about like just brave men being soldiers and doing the right thing. And you're going to tell a world war two story. Cause you know, killing Nazis is always a good thing. That's a, the least controversial war I think um killing nazis is good <laughs> yeah um but then you have the yep. vietnam war which is just like ah oh, we shouldn't have been in this quagmire and it's just a horrible thing that we got in this war and the korean war is kind of somewhere in the murky middle which is why i don't think um it it really uh gets talked about really or or even gets uh, films made about it so it was interesting to see uh the perspective on that uh and i was also glad to see like oh yeah this is this is a movie that, unlike the other naval aviation film starring Glenn Powell this year, where there was, they were like, okay, we can make these, we can have an actual bad guy, not just it be the generic enemy. Like, oh, like they're fighting Korea and China. And because they I guess they're like, yeah. Normally you'd be like, well, China, don't worry about this. We've got to release the film in China so it can make some money. And I think that just the studios are kind of moving away from that, and or some of the studios are. Um, And just kind of like, because China only gets so many releases a year, so like, yeah, we're not going to get this out in China anyway, so fuck it. Let's make, you know, like, let's tell the actual history of, like, how people were fighting China. It doesn't have to be the generic enemy. It can be, this is the Korean War, so they're going to fight in Korea along the Korean border and um, all that. So they just kind of, didn't. it didn't feel like they were copping out, and it didn't feel like nearly as much of just kind of American military propaganda as Top Gun did.
1: So yeah, devotion. Oh boy, <laughs> my mom. I went to see this with my mom yesterday, and it was fine. We had a, we had a good. She had a good time. She likes these, like, you know, typical uh, Hollywood dad dad movies. Very much a dad movie. You know, mm, Top yeah. Gun was as well, but Top Gun had that. Like, this is real shit that they filmed this. They they were in the they were in the cockpit co- uh, cockpits cockpits. Um, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, they were in the cockpits as well. Um, uh, Jonathan Majors was. Glenn Powell was probably in some sort of uh, some sort of room or something. But this didn't like look nearly as good as Top Gun. Obviously, that a lot of, a lot yeah. of this money was probably <clears throat> put into this. Um, probably don't have those planes. I don't know if they still have the planes from back then operational. But you could definitely tell the difference. I think there was that one good scene, uh, well shot scene, where after you know um, Glenn Powell's goes down to get Jonathan Majors. You see that sort of a one shot of him coming out of the plane. That was interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I think overall this, The action set pieces Didn't really work for me As much as Top Gun I think this is You know <laughs> Not a, the worst year They could have possibly Put this movie out With with you know That movie With a 30, 30 year old sequel Yeah <clears throat> Coming out this year That made a billion dollars billion and a half dollars It was crazy
0: And, and I know that it was Supposed uh, yeah. to come out In the summer And I think they delayed it Just for that reason So it wasn't butting up With Top Gun so much And also I think because They wanted to put out Closer to Oscar time Because they thought Oh maybe we can ride Some of this Top Gun Oscar momentum But yeah no Probably not going to happen
1: no, 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 no. Um, and yeah, it's just she. <laughs> she's like, oh, there's some, some race stuff in this. I mean, yeah, yeah, very mildly, mild, mildly, very mildly, <laughs> racial stuff. Uh, I don't think you could, uh, you know, watch anything else with anything more than this. Uh, I'm just trying to think of what else. You know, something like. Um, Uh, What was that? What was that thing he was in? Jonathan Major was in Lovecraft Country had Mm -hmm. (laughs) so much worse, uh, not worse, but you know, more in your face, more, Mm -hmm. um, just out in the open, more, more intense, uh, racial, um, not dialogue, but you know, the narrative of, you know, race race relations in this country was much more at the fore in something like, Mm -hmm. um, Lovecraft Country, or especially, you know, uh, Jesus and the Black Messiah, you know, there's been a bunch of things in the past few years that have really dealt with race in a much more nuanced, and much more, you know, at the fore um, than this does. Um, You know, it's just, we put, you know, our soldiers in harm's way, and then they come back to the U.S., and we treat them like absolute garbage, just overall. Broadly, we treat them like absolute dog shit. Um, But then you also have the, you know, the fact that black soldiers, black uh, servicemen and women are subjected to, you know, the, um, the uh, what do you call it, the, the VA service just absolutely lets these guys down over and over again. But on top of all of that, you also have the country that hates Black men and women and hates you know just just absolutely hates them, and so I you know they don't they, they say at the end of the movie that his that his remains are still over there and we haven't brought him back so it's just like uh, that's just that's just a bummer, that's just a bummer movie and uh, you know not really well written and you just have this message of like yeah. We said mean things to black people, and then we left their remains over there. And you have the white guy, you have Glenn Powell being like, I'm sorry I let you down. And she's like, and then she has to say it back to him, it's not your job, and blah, 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 and be like, be, 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 be a uh, consoling, be the consoler for the, yeah. the white guy. And it's, it just, just, just hit me really bad, really in a bad, in a bad way. Just like, <laughs> this just, this this is the movie for white folks to feel, to feel better about how we treat <laughs> servicemen and women, and especially how we Treat, uh, servicemen uh of color in this country so i really did not like this movie very much at all <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately but of course i had to walk out of there and be like yeah ma great movie good movie Yep, glad you have a good time yeah. so this is one of the best movies you saw this year we've seen you know I've, I've taken i've taken her to um a bunch of the stuff we've seen this year um mm-hmm. you know the the uh what was the... Oh, I can't think of any movies I saw this year for some reason. <laughs> what were the... Um, you know, Banshee's of Andrew Sharon I liked a lot. Tar I liked a lot. Um, and some other ones I've taken her to. And she's like, yeah, those were fine. That was fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> then she comes out of this. She's like, this is the best one I've ever seen. I was like, yep, yeah, hmm okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's like my mom, Boomer, she's like, boomers. I love The Green Book, which I think does a lot of the things you're talking about <laughs> a lot worse. Um, I think that is one yeah. of the movies which is like, yeah... But yes. we solved racism. This white guy learned to not be racist from this black guy, and this, yes. this, this feels like less of that. Um, which is, you know, I was really worried that it was going to be more of that, and I'm, I think I was just kind of, yeah. you know, it was, it was a low bar, but it cleared it for me. Right. Um, but yeah, right. uh, I definitely, I think that it's a lot of, you know, older, you know, these the boomers who are a little more enlightened, but the, and they just see something like this, so they're like, oh, good, this is good, we're stopping racism, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah yeah what was i gonna say they um yeah it is the green book of of this year very much so uh, looking through like I'm, i've i'll talk about um an oscar winner from 2004 that i watched this year i was assigned that last time talk about that in a minute but yeah i looked at you know green book and um coda won uh, last year which was fine but yeah just whew. Man, like ninety nine percent, ninety percent of of movies that win Best Picture are just like, what the fuck were they thinking? <laughs> Green Book and Million Dollar Baby and Crash, fucking Crash, dude. I got, I'm, I am not looking forward to watching Crash. I've never seen it, but I've heard it is, like, it's like Green Book. It's like mm-hmm. white dudes, white old dudes, just being like, guys, we're, we're mean sometimes to the <laughs> to the black people. Whew, and the and the Hispanic people, man, we got to really examine ourselves. We got to do some introspective thinking. Let's put that on the screen. That'll be, that'll win an Oscar. And yeah, won an Oscar. And yep. it's one of the most forgettable ones. So mm. good job there, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, uh, one more thing here. You got uh, How to Win How To with John Wilson. I believe I seen uh, a couple of these, when I first came. it, was this. This debuted like at the same time that the pandemic was really ramping up, like early, early twenty twenty, right?
0: Yeah, that was when season one came out. Was right as the pandemic was coming out. It kind of, um, and it's interesting because you get to see like the show almost catch up to the beginning of right. the pandemic because it's a docu series. Um, and so I just watched season two because it, and which is interesting because it's kind of like as we're all coming out of this, and and you know we're starting to go back to a sense of somewhat normalcy and it's just this really interesting it's it's, uh produced by nathan fielder so if you like nathan for you in the rehearsal and that just kind of awkward kind of uh docu-series it's it's that same kind of vein um it's, it's 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 such a real just kind of like slice of life just like looking into the real lives of these people and just how people act and everything will kind of just start with him asking a, a question about, um, you know, how, oh, how do you do this simple thing? And then it just gets gets kind of off the rails progressively and gets more and more profound just about. But just by looking at the most interesting things, and it's just the way that he uses B-roll footage to just narrate this bizarre story that he's telling and some of the images are completely random and but they are co- go with exactly what he's saying and some of them are, are you know crafted or not crafted but are are you know going along with what he's actually doing but, yeah it is it is some brilliant documentarian work um and, very very funny if you if you can if you get off, if you find the same things funny that I do where you're just like this is so weird and awkward it's almost like, fucking if Colin Robinson made a documentary. Um, from what we do in the shadows, <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. even sounds like him. Uh, so I, I, really loved it.
1: Nice, yeah. Definitely want to check that out. And it's one of those that's just like you know each one's what what episodes like twenty seven minutes, thirty minutes, something like that, right?
0: Yeah, like they're twenty four to twenty eight minutes. I think six episodes a season, so you can just knock this out pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you also checked out devs. Did you did you binge all binge all of this? Did you watch a couple. How many did you watch of this?
0: Yeah. So. Um, as, so are as uh, some people may know, you're going to be on my podcast that I'm doing, uh, Gateway Episodes, which is my kind of uh, side podcast where I'm doing, <laughs> uh, I'll introduce someone to a TV show, or in this case, you introduce me to devs, and we talked about it a couple months ago, the episode's going to be coming out pretty soon here, um, and I finally got around to, after watching that first episode, and I was all on board to binge it, and I just kind of went straight through, watched it in like, maybe two or three days, and, yeah, everything we talked about in the show, all the things I was really excited about, um, the free will versus determinism and just the incredible acting and all of that, just really great. It's Alex Garland at his best, I think. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that you introduced me. That I've been waiting to kind of catch up to uh, the release of... Uh, the episode of Gateway Episodes to talk about it on here um, but yeah, I, hey. I, I really dug it um, so thank you again for, for getting me into that because I've been meaning to
1: Yeah, it's really one of the best things I've saw um, from that year, I think Nick, Nick Offerman it just does incredible things with that character. I think uh, Zach's, Zach Greeners, uh, Kenton in that show, one of the creepiest uh, characters I've seen in a very long time. Um, they have a character on there, which, again, spoilers for all of this stuff. Um, you have the homeless guy, Pete. Um, who you first see in the first episode, hanging uh, sleeping in the front of their apartment, turns out to be a CIA agent, right? It was that the he's, he's at the a Russian of the series, intelligence, right? is what he Russians is. Russian intelligence, yeah, Russian or right. a Russian
0: spy? He's like the fucking he's like Carrie Russell,
1: <laughs> right? He's a sleeper cell agent yeah. hanging out in front of their house, um, which is a very cool twist there. Um, yeah, just just one of those like. Super interesting, you know one one season things get they get in they get their idea, uh you know across to you and then it then it just ends and it's a very uh very cool limited series um very cool I love the soundtrack I love the music of it I love the look of the you know the office interior that they're that they're all working in I love all the um the sort of the walks they take out out into nature I love it. it's just a, it's a it's a very propellant um season of TV too because like you said you just binge the whole thing and it, and it makes you want to too because each episode just ends like holy shit yeah. what's gonna happen next? I, gotta, I gotta see I have to see the next episode like right now um, so it does a really good, good job of, of just of that of building dread and building building tension throughout the series um, thought it was very interesting how the main character sort of Die is, is murdered at the end of the first episode, but you still see him. I was glad that they kept him in because I love the, I love that actor. Um, mm-hmm. He's a very good actor in there. Um, we also have Jin Ha, her um, Lily's uh, ex boyfriend was was part of it as well. I like him. He was he's great, very yeah, good in. Yeah, he was he's very good in a show from this year called um, called Pachinko on Apple TV Plus. He's very good in that. Um, so yeah very very good supporting cast Allison pills great as Forrest's um, assistant Katie she was really great um yeah I love like you said I love the the idea of them well, I, I, you know I watched it the first time and I think I mentioned this on the on our episode um that we did but does it does it sort of get to or the the overarching sort of idea of what they're building and what they're building it for was to sort of go back and look at events from history like Joan of Arc and like Jesus being buried, Jesus being on the cross and sort of this like um, it's like a TV or it's like a it's a viewing module for the ultra rich to sort of go back and look at these things in the way that they sort of are doing now. With art pieces, where they just sort of scoop them up from the general public, from the general viewing public, and just hoard them in a <laughs> like a airport terminal somewhere in Venice, somewhere, just so they can just look at it themselves. Was that the was that the overarching idea that they were gonna sort of uh, recreate these events from history just for them to sort of look at?
0: I, they definitely do that, but I think that that's more of a side thing because I think the the main reason that he's doing it is just to address his own past and his own trauma um which you know like spoilers once again for the death of his wife and his child which he feels responsible for and it's a way for him to with his determinism shirk responsibility and see if his theory about determinism and the and if he disproves the many worlds then that means there is nothing that could have possibly happened except for what happened and that he is then not responsible. It's not his fault. So it's a way for him to build this, to look at his own past. Um, and he does, he does look at like Joan of Arc and Jesus and, and cavemen and dinosaurs, but he also is like, let me look at my own past. That's his whole reason is I, I, he builds it for himself. So to, to kind of deal with his own trauma and to kind of just be like, yeah, it's not my fault. Uh, you know, the world just happens this way. Uh, there's only one way that it could ever happen, and so I am innocent. And it's a way for him to just build this thing, and you know, to just kind of uh, make himself feel better about the world. And just so when you have these these tech people, um, and usually they don't invent them like this. They usually just go spend forty four billion dollars and just buy them. Um, yeah. But when they snatch <laughs> up all these tech things, it's just so that they can just kind of become deal just you know use it for their own benefit like you were saying and not really care about what how anyone else uses this despite touting them as being a tool for the future and blah 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 it's all just it's all just you know ego
1: yes 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 yeah great great show I highly recommend yeah. if anybody hasn't watched that um so let's get to the um our assignments uh, from last time mine was million dollar baby Uh, I'm glad to, like I was saying before, (laughs) glad to finally check this off the list. It's checked off, you know, I'm assuming it's on the thousand and one movies you have to watch before you die. It's an Oscar winner somehow. Um, (laughs) I want to check out what came out that year. But I believe that was like that was like Memoirs of a Geisha probably could have won that year. Mm -hmm. They had so many other choices to to sort of give the Oscar to. But they picked this thing. Uh, this obviously stars Hilary Swank, Clint Eastwood, Morgan Freeman. Uh, you have Jay Baruchel in this movie playing a really? mentally deficient guy. Yeah. Uh, mentally, you're mentally you're uh, guy. a
0: baby and you're worth a million dollars. Uh.
1: <laughs> exactly. That's a very good impression <laughs> of uh, Jay Baruchel. You have a young, very young Anthony in here, uh, Michael Pena's in this movie doing, doing things. Uh, This is a great example of a mid-2000s, like, we're going to make a movie about, you know, a woman woman boxer and going, you know, against all odds. And then it becomes, I don't know, have you seen this movie? Can I I spoil this for you? you? I know that she gets
0: paralyzed. I've seen the It's Always Sunny episode. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So she gets paralyzed, and then he, Clint Eastwood kills her at the end to, you know, the sort of, um, you know, a... A death. What do you call that? A uh, a meaningful, not a meaningful death. A um, a distinguished death. What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? A uh, graceful death, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. And the. Um, the disability community at that time was sort of up in arms about, you know, well, she's still a human being and she still has value and, you know, disabled people have value. And just because you're on a ventilator and can't move your arms and legs, you, you can still do things with your life, which is absolutely true. You should be able to decide for yourself what your value is to to society, even though you might be on a ventilator. No matter what you are, you still have value and should that value should not be on a monetary thing but also you have to look at it at and, and, and a case-by-case basis, right? Because if she feels like she wants to die and she doesn't have – she she worked, you know, years and years to become a boxer. She she trained her body to do this one thing and she couldn't do that thing anymore. So you also have to respect that. Um, so, you know, overall as a movie, I feel like it, it, it feels like a movie that was made back then by a person who was like, you know, a lot of movies – uh, in the early 2000s, late 90s, uh, filmmakers were starting to use digital technology like Michael Mann. A lot of Michael Mann movies from the late 90s, early 2000s, Ali and, and Collateral look very, very, very dated because of the digital tech that they're working with. They don't work. They're very bad at like capturing night shots. So you look at those movies and they're very... Uh, not the pixelated is not the right word. I forget the word, uh, for like, you know, it, it's it's got a lot of, you know, no, I think noise is the right word where you just look at it, and it's like just it's, it's not clear at all. Yeah, screen, yeah, screen door effect is, a, is another great way to put it. Um, this doesn't have that, but it's got this weird, very high contrast that the, the whites are too bright, everything's blown out, the darks are too dark, everything's sort of out of contrast. I don't think it was filmed in a very interesting way. I feel like, um, Everybody's talking this weird, like, affect, uh, you know. uh, Clint Eastwood's got this weird grizzled uh, old man aspect. aspect. Um, Morgan Freeman's got this old man aspect to it. Jay Baruchel, like I said, Jay Baruchel's playing a mentally deficient guy, which they were – apparently everybody was doing back then, like um, – uh sean penn was you know i am sam was was doing that it just uh, doesn't age well at all um hillary swank's got this sort of affect, affect to her voice and her mannerisms are sort of like that it's just oof, not not a good look does not age well <laughs> mm-hmm. any of that stuff so yeah uh, glad i checked it off that that's yeah. that's the best i can say for this movie yep
0: Yeah, no, I don't have any immediate plans to see this one I think maybe all the best picture winners are in my watch list so it might come up on one of these roulettes but yeah no
1: yeah 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 yeah. so uh, I don't have it written down what was your what was your uh, assignment you had two of them right? I had had two two I I
0: still I still haven't caught up on Lord of War which was my assignment from two weeks ago but I did watch this week's assignment uh, which was the night house uh, which I thought was fine uh, yes. Like you know, I can't remember was I, I. don't even remember why I put it on my list. It might have been on your recommendation. I don't even know, but um, or someone yeah, recommended could have been, it yeah. to me. Um, but yeah, I thought it was you know it was a good kind of spooky story. Um, you know, kind of haunted house thing. Uh, I like the vibes. I like that it it did feel just kind of had that quote unquote elevated horror feel where it was more about making you feel uneasy than relying on jump scares. And I do appreciate that. Um, I thought the twist at the end was fucking stupid. Um, I really <laughs> hated the like, and I'll just, yeah. you know, spoil it right here. So skip yeah. ahead 30 seconds that it's like, oh, well, you, her husband loved her. He wasn't cheating on her. He was just murdering a bunch of women to protect her from a demon. And I'm like, what? Like, that's the, and then like, they never really doesn't, address how it makes her feel that it's just i don't know like there's some cool stuff in it but it's it's it was a very forgettable film for me to be honest rebecca hall is always yeah. great but yes yeah it was fine
1: yeah she's she has this really great scene where she's like her husband just died and she's at school and she's talking to the parent parents like why did you why did you give my kid like an incomplete or something and she's like well my fucking husband just died so yeah. fuck you <laughs> it's like, yeah yes. yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah um yeah, Rebecca Hall is incredible. She's one of these actresses that just her and um, who's the redhead? Uh, Jessica Chastain just has gotten just nothing from Hollywood. They don't they don't give her enough good roles at all. Um, Want a really good Jessica or Rebecca Hall uh, role and movie from this year. Highly, highly, highly recommend uh, Resurrection. I believe that's streaming right now on Shudder. Um, incredible, incredible movie. Just just. Just creepy, gross, uh Tim Roth in that movie as well. So what if you want a good Rebecca Hall, I'd really highly, highly recommend um checking that one out.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. If you have
1: it. if you have Shudder, yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh so let's go to uh Letterbox. I'm gonna go to my watch list. Been very inactive. I think I still have like two more to watch for three hundred and sixty-five movies this year, but um Getting there. Working on it. <laughs> uh, let's see. So I'm going to go to my watch list. I'm going to go and hit shuffle, and we'll see what we did here. So we got a movie here popped up from 2000, 2001. Great foreign film that I have yet to see. I feel like I've seen parts of this. This is a French movie from 2001. that's on many, many lists uh, that you probably should see before you die list. Um, this stars Ed- Audrey Tatao. And Matthew Katowicz.
0: I have no idea.
1: Amelie. Amelie from 2001. okay. Yeah, all right. Yep, yep, yep. Always wanted to see that. I think I've seen bits and pieces of that. But yeah, definitely will check that out now. Uh, So you're at your... Shuffle your watch list. All right, yeah. Hopefully you get something you like. uh, I don't
0: know about this. Uh, Yes. This, because this is a... uh, You just got a Best Picture winner on your last one from the early 2000s. Uh, I got the same. Uh, This is actually the Best Picture winner uh, from one of my favorite years in film ever. Um, It beat out such films uh, like The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers um, for Best Picture uh, in 2002. It also... Uh, yeah, that was that was a really good year of movies, and just kind of this one won, and I was like, really, really this one. All
1: right. I probably yeah. I I probably know it. Oh god, Chicago.
0: Yeah, yeah. Last yeah. Oh no. So I guess uh, I'm gonna watch this one directed by Rob Marshall, (laughs) who I don't like at all. Okay. Well, no. There's a reason I hadn't seen it. Uh, All right. Uh, It's the last musical also. Rob Marshall, yeah. yeah, Renee Zellweger.
1: This was I remember this movie coming out and watching the Oscars that year, and. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> they had um, what's his name, Wolverine guy, Hugh Jackman yeah, was hosting. I think I think he was hosting the Oscars, or he was doing like the opening ceremony or something. And he's like, "Movies are, musicals are back, baby," because <laughs> that Chicago, or maybe that was, maybe it was Move On Rouge, because that was what 2007? 7? around then. So that would have been like you know a few mm-hmm. years after Chicago. Uh-huh. So he's like, "Musicals are back, baby." Okay, cool glad for you glad you yeah. like musicals Mr. Song and Dance Man
0: okay. <laughs> he's the greatest showman <laughs>
1: he's, the, he's the greatest showman some would say alright so uh, before we go we got a uh, prediction here we got BF, mm-hmm. next time we record will be after December 3rd that'll be after the BFI Science Sound's top 100 movies list for 2022 comes out um, so let's do a little guessing game here What what do we think will be on it will what will be number one? Will anything uh, usurp uh, take down the number one uh, movie on their list, which is currently Vertigo? Vertigo is number one. Citizen Kane is number two. <coughs> Tokyo Story by Ozu Yasujiro um, is number three. Do we think there's going to be a major shakeup in the top ten list?
0: Well, it's interesting, because I know Vertigo, like, slowly over the years crept up the list. Like, it started pretty low on the list. Like, there was a bunch of other Hitchcocks ahead of it, then it, like, jumped up. Like, a bunch of spaces, and it obviously jumped up all the way to number one. I mean, Citizen Kane is a top of a lot of lists. Um, You know, it's so... It's... I mean, I think it's going to be probably one of those two. Like, the, the sight and sound list is a little more eclectic and weird than a lot of these lists. Like, they you know most of these have the godfather at like number 1 or 2 it's all the way down at number 22 on sight and sound right. and sight and sound is a little more just like you said you know tokyo stories in the top 3 uh one of my favorite films sunrise is number 5 um and then ooh 2001 is number 6 so so they've got yeah. i think searchers is, is just 7 is going to take a big drop um yeah but yeah i think it could be one of those um i think uh there will obviously be some some new entries but yeah, I, I'll you know I'm just gonna make the prediction. I think Vertigo holds holds that top spot.
1: Um, do you think anything from the last ten years is gonna make the list? We have, I was looking through it and I was looking for anything like what's the newest ones on there? What are some the most contemporary movies on this list? I believe it's uh, the 2001 uh, Wong Kar Wai movie In the Mood for Love is on there, and also the 2001 movie uh, Mulholland Drive is on there as well. Do we think? There's going to be uh, a lot of movies from the last, more movies from the last 20 years are going to make the list this year. I,
0: I do think so. I do think, especially in that um, that space there where, you know, you, you are trying to feel out how a movie is going to age. Um, so that's probably why some of the films that were released in the decade between the last list and that list didn't make it. So maybe some of those films that were released between 02 and 2012 will finally make it. I think I'm going to make a prediction that. Um, a uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is going to make the list. Um, that's probably going to be yeah. that's my prediction. That's going to be the most recent thing that shows up there. Uh, the 2019 or 2020 film, depending on which release date you're you're looking at. But um, and I do think that yeah. Yeah, there will be a lot from the the first decade to the 2000s that crop up on the list as well.
1: Yeah, that's um, that's a movie that's you know, like you said, Sight and Sound has a lot of very eccentric eclectic uh, picks here Mm. Um, you know number eight's like or number what was it Uh, uh, Man with a Camera is number eight Uh, it's a Soviet Union movie from 1929 is in their top ten list Uh, so it's a very strange list you know Joan of Arc Passion of Joan of Arc which I just caught up with this year I would highly recommend you know people watch that but that's a, that's a a, pick from you know the silent silent era that uh, definitely de- deserves to be on there um, do you have any do you think there's going to be any sort of genre movies on there they have you know they have Apocalypse Now which is you know it was popular in its day made a lot of movie made a lot of money in its day um, do you think anything like um, i trying to go through the you know IMDB's top list here anything like uh, let's see Jaws probably not right um, any genre movies c- could crack the list from the last 10 years or even from the last 100 years.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's... Um, that's
1: Exorcist? Is the Exorcist on there? I think it is, right?
0: Uh, I am not sure to see. I'm looking at the list right see. now. I'm scrolling through. Uh, I mean, let's see. Yeah, I'm not seeing really any... Well, Blade Runner's on here. Uh,
1: That's what I was going to mention. Yes, yes, yes. That's... Uh, one of the only genre movies on there really
0: yeah so there's there's like you said there a uh, 2001 is a genre movie. that's pretty high even though it's more of a, a slow kind of more yeah artistic film right. but I would say that's definitely firmly in the the sci-fi uh, genre. oh you know Tree of Life is on here that's a pretty that's that would be a very recent one at the time it was released right. uh, see right. it's not sci-fi but um Nosferatu that's another uh, genre film was of Oz Totoro star wars obviously a genre film king kong trip to the moon et um so with that in mind you know i think that i think you could make a case that there's probably going to be a nolan film on here wally's on here um, i think so uh, really the way <laughs> um so yeah, i'm just looking at all, a lot of you know i'm all yeah that's pretty much all the the genre films that were in the last one but yeah i think that you might get a nolan um i would hmm. i don't think you're going to get a superhero film on here Although you know what, maybe like a Black Panther could make the list. I could see that, especially you know with Chadwick's passing and everything. That um, yeah, and especially since they are letting, like I was, I just kind of looked at the first page of the people voting, and it was um, you know there do seem to be some some more some younger people, um, some people that would want to include uh, maybe something like that. I think maybe they are probably a little more forward thinking. Than like the Academy or the American Film Institute, um, so yeah. I, I could see yeah them putting on you know even like a Jurassic Park or something, uh, which wasn't on the last list, but but definitely I think could could make the list um, yeah
1: yeah they just looking through it they have a lot of you know Scorsese's on here twice at least twice with Taxi Driver and Regime Bull so they have you know American movies that are you know, sort of held up by film bros as those movies you got to see. Just some of the best, mo- their, some of their favorite movies. Um, but then you also have like stuff like the four hour freaking movie Sant'Atago is on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 400 Blows. They, lo- they love Truffaut. They love Fellini. Hmm. Uh, they're going to put Parasite to, on there. Then, I'm, I'm
0: willing to bet they're going to put Parasite. Parasite, on the yes. List.
1: So um, if I had to yeah. put money on it, yeah, absolutely. Parasite's probably going to be on there. But yeah, be very interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, I could, no I could definitely recorded. see December. them
0: putting The Dark Knight on there. Like, I, could, I think there's a the strong case that that and maybe one other Nolan uh, could be on the list. And maybe even something like Into the Spider Verse uh, might be, be on the uh, list. Yeah,
1: Into the Spider Verse. I mean, they don't have any anima- any animation on there, do they? Uh, they got spirited away on I don't there. think so. Oh, they do? And, okay. And Totoro. So it's possible. Yeah. And, oh, really? Wow. Okay. Uh, so it's possible. Yeah, anything's yeah. possible. Um, but yeah, a lot of, you know, talking about genre, they have a lot of uh, Western on there, which, which you know, in its day, the Westerns were the superhero genre of its day. It was just like they were pumping Hollywood and Italy were pumping those out at an incredible rate. So, you know, if they're going to put Westerns on there, you sort of have to say like, okay, well, what's the Western of our day? Yeah. Uh, modern times too. Modern Chaplin made a lot of like, you know, very popular movies. They weren't very, you know, introspective. They didn't really, <laughs> you know, Chaplin movies don't really comment on the human condition very much. So, you know, them putting those on there has a good chance for putting stuff like, like you said, Jurassic Park or Nolan movies or superhero movies could find their way on there. It's possible. Um, Blade Runner is obviously, like you said, is on there. Even Blue Velvet, like the David Lynch has two on here, mm-hmm. uh, at least two on here. So he's a very, you know, of the, of the film... Uh, enthusiasts you know he's pretty popular among people like that so you put if you put a david lynch on here you've got um scorsese on here so you've got some very popular very mainstream american directors on here so you could definitely see some of the something like um yeah something like a superhero movie getting on there Brighter Summer Day. I have. I saw Yi earlier this year. The Edward Edward Yang movie from 2000. Brighter Summer Day. Still have to catch up with. The Wild Bunch is on here. I've heard The Wild Bunch. You know cited a lot by people like Tarantino. Oh, that's that's you know, like very, you
0: watch that movie and you're like you are unlocking a cheat code in Quentin Tarantino's brain. You're like, okay, <laughs> okay, this is what he yeah. got his whole thing from. I got it. Yeah, Sam, you yeah. just fucking ripped w- off Sam Peckinpah. Like to like <laughs> straight up, he just like was like, let me just do this, but like a little bit more.
1: Right. Um, I watched the Seventh Seal this year. That, that's the most pretentious move I've ever seen. I probably would have shut that off if I didn't have if I didn't have anything else going on. I would have shut that off. That was the most pretentious thing I've ever seen. Uh, Breathless is watch, fine. Uh,
0: come and see, I guess.
1: Yeah. No. Come and see. Come and see's moves. Like the thing about Seventh Seal is just like the cameras locked down. People are just talking. Mm-hmm. At least come and see. You have people like walking, and you have like gunfire, and you have fire, and you have people screaming. There might be. There might be you know, atrocities and war crimes happening <laughs> and on every other every other minute, but at least, you know, things are happening. Things are moving. Um City Lights I would put way higher, uh, Chaplin's movie from nineteen thirty one. Puts out way higher. Yeah, so, so the placement yeah, is we'll just see. like
0: all right, that's it's very odd. Yeah.
1: Very odd, yeah. <laughs> so again, looking forward to some of the stuff we're be talking about in the next coming weeks. Um, I'm, I'm, gonna go, I'm gonna go see uh she said tomorrow the uh movie about Harvey Weinstein and the investigation into the well, not just allegations, but you know, he was he was uh convicted about for the crimes that he that he committed, so mm-hmm. I, that'll be a, that'll be a Laugh, laugh Riot when <laughs> I go see that tomorrow. Uh, what movies that are left to come out this year are you most excited to see? Uh, the Fablemans? I'm really I'm actually really, really excited. I've seen a couple longer trailers from some of the movies I've seen this year. I'm very much excited to see Michelle Williams in that. I've heard some really great things about her performance in that. I'm really excited to see Paul Dano. Um, yeah, are you looking forward to that? Uh, pretty much more than other stuff no <laughs>
0: um i love spielberg and uh I, I i'm gonna see it if it was somebody else was making this besides spielberg there's almost zero chance i would say it because I, I just do not need to see like my childhood was so filled with movies and it's so great and this is the story of this kid who is very clearly me like i i talked about uh last year how um they did a similar thing with um What's his name? Kenneth Branagh's uh uh film that was very similar. Um, oh yeah, uh, what Belfast. Was it Belfast. Yeah, I was which I was not a fan of. Um, because it's Spielberg, I will see it, and I think that it does have a lot of upside. I could, I might end up really loving it. Um, I mean, I'm sure that just based on every Spielberg movie ever made, it's going to be about divorce. Um, this kid's going through his parents' <laughs> divorce uh, because that's been in right. every single and Spielberg movie, and this one being so autobiographical, I'm sure it'll be here. So it has a lot of upside, but also I don't think I really loved a Spielberg movie since probably at least ten years, since twenty twelve um, or twenty eleven. When uh, probably the last one that I really dug was *Tintin*, maybe. Um, so, but he is the alt, he is the goat. So I'm gonna give it a chance. Um, ones that I'm maybe more excited for uh, *Babylon*. Uh, *Damon Chazelle*, I think, has made three films that I consider. That's another one that make might make the. Um, BFI list who knows but maybe I yeah. think that uh, La La Land has a chance um, but yeah he did La La Land he did Whiplash another one that could make the list and he did um, First yeah. Man which is I think a very underrated movie I would say all fa- three of his films that he's made are five-star films so I'm all on board for Babylon um, uh, White Noise I'm also excited for um, yes. I I read the book and oh, one of my college uh, English oh. classes I'm a big fan of Noah Baumbach, and that book also gave us the incredible band, the Airborne Toxic Event. Um, They take their name from something that (laughs) happens in the novel that will also, I'm sure, happen in the movie, because it's a very central thing. Uh, So, you know, just on that, I I, I love it. Uh, And then there was one other one that I think that I was uh, excited for. Um, Oh, uh, I'm also seeing Tomorrow the Menu, um, so I'll be seeing that probably maybe around the same time. Uh, that you are watching she said i'll be watching the menu i'm very excited to see <laughs> nice. that uh you know it, i i it could be dumb but it could be great i mean anya taylor joy uh ralph fines nicholas Holtz, you know really really stellar cast and uh so yeah we'll, we'll see how that goes
1: um yeah absolutely uh some other uh movies i might be interested in you know they seem like downers but uh the whale mm, um here yeah. Aronofsky's uh, new movie. Um, let's see. I don't know about. What do you, how do you think about uh, Avatar? They have this discussion a lot on the film cast uh, don't. about That's the, the thing like, cultural I, relevancy. I, yeah. I, there
0: is none. Like who, 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 one who, who cares about Avatar? Like I know there's like <laughs> hardcore people.
1: It's not cultural re- relevance. The first one's not a
0: good movie. It's fine. Right. It's it's a three hour long cool experience but it is like it's like when you watch the first one in the theater you're like fuck this is cool like this is incredible and then you like watch it a second time you're like this is fucking boring like and then you watch it at home on like a regular tv and you're like i ah, this is fucking bad and so i'm sure the first I'm, I'm gonna go watch the way of the water in a theater and i'm sure i'm gonna be like wow this shit look this is incredible this is really cool um but you know i don't think it's gonna be like an incredible film or anything like that i'm gonna have a good time watching it the first time probably um but mm-hmm. i'm like you know who who's out here like oh man you know who's what's a great character in cinematic history jake Sully. like no like
1: <laughs> did you pull that name out or did you have to look that up that's
0: the one thing i remember about the movie is jake because they would always say his name jake Sully. like they would say his full name the at the fucking navi or whatever so and right. that's just kind of like i don't know that's like always been a running running joke for me that and then uh if anybody listens to podcast the ride the, the 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 mighty Akron because it's these three theme park nerds who they don't know really anything about avatar but they love avatar land at disney world and like you got to go ride the mighty acron <laughs> so those are the only things i think about when i think about avatar is jake sully riding the mighty Akron. yeah <laughs>
1: incredible um, then one more I want to mention looking forward to obviously is Woman, Women Talking you've got uh got Rooney directed by Sarah Pauly uh, you got all the women all the women in Hollywood right now and they're Rooney all Mar, talking Claire Foy they're all, and they're all talking exactly <laughs> Jesse Buckley Frances McDormand uh, there's more people in this where are they where are the people what the hell they just said wasn't there like a bunch of people in that the top cast on 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 IMDb: Rooney Mara, uh, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, Michelle McLeod, Francis McDormand. Wasn't there like a maybe that's it? Okay, well still. Still want to check that out. It looks very good. Um, then I mentioned The Whale. What do you think about, let's talk about this early on so we can get our predictions out there. Movies that come out in April, April and May, right, are very much forgotten about in the Oscar season. Everything Everywhere at Once, one of my favorite movies of the year, came out in April. What do you think about its chances at the
0: uh,
1: Academy Awards next year?
0: It might pick up a couple nominations. It might even get a Dark Horse Best Picture nom. Um, I don't count on it. But there is—it has zero percent chance of taking home any major awards. It's not—it it's not going to take home any of the big five awards, any of the acting awards, writing, directing, or um, uh, picture. It might pick up a yeah. nomination for one of those categories, maybe even Michelle Yao. Um, but yeah, like you said, it, it came out in in a uh, in April. Uh, I think it's got exactly the wrong budget to make an impact at the Oscars, which it that disappearing middle budget, $40 million, uh, made $40 million film. Um, so Oscars, they love their, their films that are, are very small budgets, and then they like the big epics. Um, but they really do not care at all about the mid-budget films, I feel like, especially when they're right. coming out that time of year. And then it's also a genre film, so it is, like, tailor-made to be ignored by the Oscars.
1: Yes. Yeah, I, yeah, unfortunately, I do have to agree with you. Um, you know, S- Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse, I think, was got a lot of stuff uh, at the Oscars that year for production. You know, I think, it, uh, like you said, the major awards, the Best Picture, Best Actress, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, that stuff would probably be... Uh, not get nominated, I could see it getting, you know, production, uh, best visual effects, yeah. um, best costuming. I, I really want that movie to win costuming. I think every time we talked about it, I brought, I brought up the costuming. That, that was some of the strongest parts of that movie. But, yeah, in terms of the bigger award, I think it probably, unfortunately, will get forgotten about yeah. uh, that next year. Yep, yep, yep. All right, so I think that will do it. We just got to do some plug-in. Um, going to do some medium blogging later this year coming up to the end of the year so got to get my gojo mojo going got to get <laughs> off of uh, Tarkov get some writing going i going to talk about the best books I've read this year I've read about 70 less than 270 books this year um, watched a bunch of TV shows watched a bunch of movies obviously honing in on my 365 Movie day, movie A Day Challenge, so I've definitely got a bunch to pick from there. going to be talking about some of the best podcasts I listen to this year, some of the best music. I've been listening to Taylor Swift's new album, been listening to a bunch of stuff from this year, so definitely will be putting that in my year-end best-of list. So check out my Medium blog over there, damian.sherman.medium.com go to b for benedetta that's my letterboxd account um, go to film sas on youtube go to anchor.com to make a podcast and go to all my interviews this year with iFanboy. i fanboy i talked to them about their where they came from making their podcast starting in 2006 or how they did that i talked to Lena wilson about her writing and how she became a film critic talked to cinema about she still him exists? doing still youtube U- i
0: thought she just disappeared off the internet <laughs>
1: Uh, she, she uh, Yeah, apparently I looked into uh, if she's writing anything recently. Apparently she's still writing, but she took down all of her mm. social media did, because... Uh, yeah. Does she yeah. have any other oh, parents that work in the New
0: York Times <laughs> that can get her hired
1: anywhere? Or? Uh, does she have parents working? She does have parents that work there. Yeah, yep. no, she does. <laughs> nepotism a baby unfortunately but yes (laughs) um talk to TikToker uh cinema tech about his film reviews there and i talked to br jaeger who wrote one of my favorite books this year uh negative space uh what do you gotta plug derek
0: yeah so uh like i said we i mentioned uh that i have the gateway episodes podcast which is currently in the midst of doing a the season two so about uh Close to the end, we've got a few episodes left. Um, Doing a run of eight episodes once a week, every Wednesday. New episodes come out, so uh, not this Wednesday, but the next one, uh, your and my conversation on devs will be out. Uh, I also do a podcast called Underrated, where we look at underrated and underappreciated films. Uh, That comes out every other Monday, just like this show. So the same day that this drops, uh, my other show drops as well. So if you guys want to go check that out, however you're listening to this um i've also got a patreon for that uh just look up undercast company and then on all the socials it's under we are undercast company just uh instagram facebook all that good stuff and i've got also got my medium blog but yeah mostly just check out my podcast
1: very cool so for podcast episode number 152 can i say something i've been damien
0: and i've been Derek.
1: And we'll see you next time. Fuck capitalism. Go home. Fuck Elon. (laughs) Fuck Twitter. Fuck Nazis. Go home. (laughs) Bye. All right. Goodbye. Yes.